You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, the Vic Fangio episode. We're breaking down Miami's big-time hire at defensive coordinator. We'll tell you about his resume, his accomplishments, and rankings over the years, the bones of the defense, and what it looks like from a numbers perspective. We'll get some testimonials and bring in a closer to wrap it up for the fine details on the Fangio scheme. Sean Syed wrote a banger of a deep dive up on the read optional about the Fangio defense and how it's made its way across the National Football League. We'll get to know the newest member of the Miami staff here on the podcast from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the drive. That's another Miami Dolphins. It is official. Vic Fangio will be the next defensive coordinator of your Miami Dolphins, and he brings with him a very Very impressive resume. Let's start there in this deep dive edition of the podcast. We're putting the season review series on hold for the day. Let's go ahead and start with his resume. And it goes back to 1979. It's almost a decade before I was born when he was the linebackers coach and eventually defensive coordinator at his alma mater, Dunmore High School in Pennsylvania. He then moved on to a academy high school, Milford Academy in Connecticut, to be the DC there in 1982. In 1983, he was the North Carolina graduate assistant, and then 84-85, he jumped to the USFL and the Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars as their defensive assistant. Then he made the move to the NFL. Saints linebackers from 86 to 94. He was in the Panthers defensive coordinator from 95 to 98 before moving to that same position with the Colts from 99 to 01. Took the same position for the Texans, 2002 to 05. He stayed in the same division there a few times. You see that from uh, NFC Central to the AFC Central or AFC South eventually with the Houston Texans. From 06 to 08, he was the Ravens special assistant to the head coach slash defensive assistant. He took the linebackers job for the Ravens in 09 and then in 2010 went back to the college game to be the defensive coordinator at Stanford, working with Jim Harbaugh. Then he followed Harbaugh to the 49ers job where he was the DC for four years there before signing on to the same position with the Chicago Bears from 2015 to 2018. Then he finally gets his head coaching gig. 2019-2021, the Broncos head coach. And this last year he spent with the Philadelphia Eagles. Fans of The Office will find this cool. He played at Dunmore High School when he was a high schooler, just outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then he eventually became the assistant to the head coach. So kind of a Dwight Schrute move there. He moved to a different high school in 82 that year before the one year in college and then the USFL. And then, of course, makes the jump back to the pros. And what does he do besides coach a room that earns a nickname? You understand how good a position group has to be to get a nickname? Legion of Boom, the Purple People Eaters, He had the Dome Patrol in New Orleans. Over his nine aggregate years there in New Orleans, the Saints ranked fifth in yards per game with 300 yards per game. They were fourth in scoring, again, over those nine years, uh, 18.1 points per game. And they were third in sacks with 408 and tied for third with 336 takeaways. Then he gets his first defensive coordinator job and he helps take the expansion Panthers to the NFC title game in year two of its existence. Then on to the Colts where he worked under Jim Mora. This guy's been with like every coach you can think of. He goes to the Texans and run his defense under Dom Capers before heading up to Baltimore to coach Ray Lewis in an All-Pro 2009 season. Then we mentioned the six years with Jim Harbaugh. Then he goes up to Chicago when Harbaugh left for Michigan. There he worked with John Fox. And when John Fox was relieved, Fangio became the first Bears defensive coordinator to stay on under a new head coach and go to the next regime with a three-year extension, since Buddy Ryan stayed on with Mike Ditka in 1982. 
Then rookie head coach Matt Nagy gave full control of the Fangio defense per a story I, I was reading uh, earlier on before I put this podcast together. Full control of the defense, and he repaid that by leading the NFL in turnovers in 2018 with 36 and the most interceptions with 27 that season. Man, if, if we can get anywhere close to those numbers in terms of takeaways, that's you in the division. Like if you flip that this year with the Dolphins offense this year, you would have won the division. For that effort, Fangio was named assistant coach of the year by the Pro Football Writers of America and the same honor a few weeks later from the Associated Press. That led to his first head coaching job with the Denver Broncos. Let's go ahead and circle back and focus on his time from 2011 and on, from the Niners, Bears, to Broncos. His last eight years as a DC that combines the Niners and Bears jobs, he had a defense that finished in the top five four times of total defense and the top ten six times in total defense that ahead of his appointment as the head man in Denver and those defenses he had there were very good too Uh, they essentially still were the same remnants of what he built this past season that was a championship defense in 2022 constructed by Vic Fangio you know after a few years putting it together there to put together for a new staff this season and if the Denver offense this year was even just average then that would have been a team we're watching into the postseason where the Broncos went in the right direction this offseason was bringing in Ijiro Evero to run that defense, which stems from the same principles on the defense he ran. So let's go year by year back to the San Francisco days. Starting, no, going back to 2011, we start in 2022 though. He was a consultant for the Philadelphia Eagles and you saw the Eagles get after it with really in all honesty, a lot of the same principles from a Fangio-style defense. They were third in total defense. They had 15 more sacks than the second-place sacking team at 70 compared to Kansas City's 55. Remember our uh, championship round takeaways was how to pressure up front, and that's how you kind of can control games and remove my preconceived moniker that your defense is as good as the offense is playing. Not when you can get pressure with four. Philadelphia, 70 sacks. Kansas City, 55. They'll meet in the Super Bowl. The Eagles had the third lowest passer rating against, 81.6. They were seventh ranked in scoring defense at 20.1 points per game. They had the 12th ranked red zone defense and the 14th ranked third down defense. Let's go ahead and do that for all the teams he's coached going back to 2011. So the Broncos in 2021 is the head coach. Eighth in total defense, third in scoring. 21st in takeaways, sixth in passer rating, third in red zone, 28th in third down. The next season, they were 21st in total, 25th in scoring, 29th in takeaways, and despite being you know 16th in passer rating, 15th in third down, they were still number one in the red zone. In 2019, it was better. So they had like a down year in 2020. I'm not really sure what you would call that. Uh, there was opt-outs that year, the COVID year, uh, people missing from games, you know, just a lot of stuff going on that was different in 2020. But 2019, his first year, 12th in defense, 10th in scoring, 25th in takeaways, never really got the takeaways in Denver, 21st, 29th, and 25th, uh, 16th in passer rating, but again, first in red zone, 13th and third down defense, so always top three in the red zone, in red zone scoring, like that is, if you can do that in today's NFL, and again, with this Dolphins defense, Dolphins offense rather, you're going to win a lot of games, you're going to compete for the division, you're going to compete in January and beyond, like that's, that's what you need, that is exactly what you need. Go back to Chicago when he was the D.C. His last year there was an amazing one. Third in total defense, first in scoring, first in takeaways, first in opposer passer rating, opposing passer rating, sixth in red zone, and fourth in third down defense. Like, they were great across the board. And the years prior to that wasn't any worse. I mean, they were 10th, 15th, and 14th in total defense, 9th, 24th, and 20th in scoring defense. So that's, you know, I guess they had the scoring fell off a little bit there. But again, personnel... There's some lean years in there. They were uh, first, 13th, 32nd, and 16th in takeaways in Chicago. The passer rating was only really good one one of the th- four years, the first, 18th, 23rd, and 26th. But again, red zone, 6th, 12th, 11th, 21st. Like they were always a good red zone defense besides that first year. And then third down's where the fluctuation comes the most for his defenses, 4th, 20th, 22nd, and 29th. So it gets better as he goes each stop along the way in the key categories like total and scoring and third down red zone's pretty much always good. And then the takeaways and pass rate and those things kind of work together, right? Uh, usually pretty good, but not so great. Those couple of years there in Chicago, you go back to San Francisco. He always had a good defense there. The four years there, fourth, fifth, third, and fourth in total defense, 
10th, 3rd, 2nd, and 2nd in scoring defense. Takeaways, they were 4th, 6th, 14th, and 1st. It's a defense that generates takeaways, man. We'll talk about that more in a second. They get eyes in the football, and they attack that way. They were 4th, 4th, 6th, and 5th in opposing passer rating, but the red zone wasn't as good. Like, weird. 28th, 13th, 28th, and 4th, and then 3rd down defense was 26th, 5th, 3rd, and 11th. Excuse me. So again, those Bears and Broncos ratings, you know, they they were not up to par. Those were some lean years in terms of their personnel, just, you know, for your information. Not trying to make an excuse or tell you like he's a great coach regardless, but let's just say he's not going to have that problem here. Short of another instance of losing seven to eight key players and stars for your defense the whole year, like we had last year. But if that doesn't happen, those numbers will not happen. Let's next look at how he does. Like, what are the ingredients? What goes into the stew? I want to go ahead and look at his most recent stop in Denver between 2019 and 2021. How do the Broncos attack opposing offenses? We'll do that and break down some of the film I watched on his games. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. The Vic Fangio episode of the Drive Time Podcast, new Dolphins defensive coordinator. We've broken down the statistical ranks of where he's been over the last decade plus, told you about his resume. Let's go ahead and jump into the film and what NFL Jesus, we call it, G-I-S-I-S, where they rank Vic Fangio style defenses. And I just went back and cumulatively took the last three years with the Broncos because it's it really tracks similarly. I mean, the Bears was the same. The Niners was the same. He's not going to overhaul what he does. Obviously, he's smart enough to adapt and change things year to year, but it's it's principally the same ideas uh, you know, year after year. So let's go ahead and talk about what he did in Denver. They ran out of their base package, which was a 3-4, 21% of the time. And I'm going to go ahead and say it again. I, everyone that listens to this podcast knows this, but apparently... People that don't don't know this, uh, three, four, and four, three is a fraction of your defense. Can we all agree to agree upon that? It's less than a fifth of your defense typically. Here it's twenty one percent, a little more. Nickel defense is your base. Like getting caught up in whether a coach runs three, four, or four, three is is not relevant. I mean, it is to understand the defense they play and what they want to play on base downs. But man, like it is a fraction of what you run. This is not 1994. I don't know why it's so prevalent. I mean, I know I've seen, you know, beat writers and people that cover the game professionally talk about it like it is. And so maybe that's where the fans get it from. But your your four three and three fours, that's not how the NFL works anymore. It hasn't for like 20 years, but we still talk about it that way. Anyway, the base he ran in Denver was three four, which was 21% of the time. And he also ran the four three, 4.6% of the time. So it's some hybrid variables there in terms of their fronts. And, and we see it with Philly too. It means a consultant there, some five down front. So like there's, there's some variety and versatility he builds into his system, which you have to love because he'll morph it around the players that he has. But as we always say, you know, the, the nickel defense is your base. So those are your fractions nickel over the three years. 62.1% of the time, but here's a big figure that's not common in the NFL today. Dime packaging, 10.9%, so 11% of the time they have a sixth defensive back on the field or more, and they ran 12 plays from quarter, which is seven defensive backs. Situational-based, sub package, you know, we don't believe in putting on more linebackers and more defensive linemen to rush the quarterback. We believe in getting pressure with our system up front, with our ability to create one-on-ones, and then we disguise and confuse quarterbacks on the back end and give them more cover guys to handle third and longs so that guys can't get open. Like the game against the Chiefs, uh, or the Chiefs and Bengals game on Sunday. The Bengals had that third and 16, and Hayden Hurst sprung a little you know, flag route wide open. Why is he not covered? Because you weren't aligned properly. You didn't have the right personnel on the field. Get your right personnel out there and get a stop on third and 16. So that's kind of the idea there. We'll talk more about the structure of it. The box counts, uh, seven-man boxes was just 18.8%. That's your average you know, 4-3, three, 3-4 three, defense type of look. Uh, your four defensive backs or your five, even your five defensive backs with a rat in the hole, 18.8% of the time, a normal box. Light boxes 
are ran 73.7% of the time. 1,626 plays out of the 3,085 came with a six-man box. What does that tell you? Two high safeties. They don't bring that safety down, and it's usually from nickel personnel. So we're going to go four, two, five, and we're going to play all five defensive backs out of the box and try to win our gap assignments accordingly. Now, that, of course, can shift on early down personnel. That's why you have it only 73% of the time. Uh, you can shift that based upon the offense's ability to match their personnel. So it's not like some definitive number, but it tells you this defense is based upon the ability to play two high safeties and force defenses to be patient, to run the football, and take underneath stuff and limit big plays. That jives well with the defensive personnel we have here. And then stacked boxes, 7.5% of the time. But again, the box count idea here tells you they prefer to play down a man in the run count in the gap assignments to get more on the back end against coverage. And I like that when you're dealing with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, the best quarterbacks in the league. I like the idea of defending the pass and eight or nine yards average per attempt compared to three or four yards on the ground. The coverage structure, here you go. Single high safety. You're going to think this is funny because I'm just going to contradict everything I just told you, but I'll tell you why that's the case. Single high safety pre-snap, 43.3%. Two high safety pre-snap, 37.5%. Travis, that number is lower. You just lied to us. Hang on. Cover zero, 17.4% of the time. So there is, there's, there's so much variety in this defense. We'll talk to Sean here in a minute about that, but it definitely is capable of confusing quarterbacks based upon the ability to show different pictures, different times and change what you do pre-snap and post-snap. And then other coverages, 1.8% of the time. Again, this jives with the ability to confuse quarterbacks and force them to think and make decisions on the fly after the snap. This is pre-snap structure. So it changes. You're not camping out in one thing. You don't rotate the same way every single time. It's constantly evolving. So the quarterback can't say, well, last time that safety started on the far hash and then buzzed the crossing route from the backside to take away the over route. Like he wanted to deal with mesh. Well, next time you've bluffed the mesh, you go back to the middle of the field and you pull down the opposite safety. Like you have different things you can do. Interchangeable safety plays, a key in this defense. Uh, that's why those coverage numbers pre-snap and the post-snap rotation is so not aligned, if that makes sense. Unaligned? I don't know. They play man coverage 20.3% of the time. They play zone coverage 78.7% of the time. But that can be difficult to plot because a lot of coverages are hybrid-based, especially in this defense. You know, man front side, zone backside, vice versa. A lot of times man coverage converts to zone in this defense based upon, you know, the way they stack or bunch or motion. It's not as easy as just listing out numbers. That's why... We're going to get to my guest here in a moment. He's going to break it down for us further, but it's not always and almost never is what you see is what you get. It's constantly changing and evolving. As far as their rush packages, rush plans, they go three-man rush in Denver. They did 11% of the time. The four-man rush was 57.6% of the time, and your five-man rushes, you know, blitzing was 18% of the time. They had 78 snaps of seven rushers, 23 snaps of seven rushers, so about 20% blitz rate. Uh, there for the Broncos under Vic Fangio. They rarely go jailbreak. They just don't bring the, the all-out blitzing rushing attack. It's if they, if they do come, it's typically just five guys. Uh, then there's 164 snaps of less than three rushers. Think end of game, end of half, uh, third and a mile situations, all kinds of scenarios that play into that. But the primary number here is the 57.6 four-man rush. In total, it was four or fewer rushers 76.9% of the time during the three years in Denver. So expect far fewer blitzing, better coverage, better disguise, better shells in the back end, and trusting Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips and Emmanuel Ogba and Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer and Melvin Ingram if he comes back, Andrew Van Ginkle if he comes back. Four guys, go get the quarterback. We'll play good coverage in the back end and give you hopefully an extra... If this defense can get two-tenths of a second longer time to throw... That sack production, the turnover production, the third down defense, all of that, all of it will ratchet way, way, way up. And really, if you look at defenses that typically can generate the most takeaways or be stout in the red zone, it's because they change the picture on the quarterback. They confuse you and give you multiple looks. You, you can never give a quarterback the same look over and over again, uh, a quarterback of the ilk of Aaron, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, whatever the case may be. You have to 
consistently change what they look at. And that's usually how mistakes are generated, right? By confusing the quarterback and forcing poor decisions to put the ball where you want them to put the ball. And you do that by changing it up. I mean, I've seen five games of his now. I went back and watched against one against Mahomes, one against Tua in 2020, one against uh, Aaron Rodgers when he was with the Bears and a couple other games with the Broncos. And I just wanted to see how he went about that. And it was like the takeaway is that there was no takeaway. It was always different. It was always, you know, show mugged up pressure in the A gap and pull a guy out. Show a seven-man pressure package and pull two defensive tackles out and rush the edge. Uh, show nobody and delay. Green dog blitz them. Use your athletic linebackers to key. If a running back is staying in protection, go get him. Go get the quarterback. Don't you know? sit here and wait for him to get out into the pattern. So just constant change, constant evolution, constant muddying up what the quarterback, what the opposing offense sees is kind of the bread and butter behind that film study that I did uh, here on this Monday. So that's the bones and all. Let's go ahead and do some testimonials here next before we get to my guest and Sean Saeed. Uh, I always like to look at the reaction on social media about big moves, and this one comes with some praise that jives with what I've taken from my research on Coach Fangio and some of the benefits that come with hiring someone of his pedigree. Randy Mueller, former Dolphins GM, said on uh, Dolphins hiring a Vic Fangio is big. His experience and perspective is what is very valuable for players and others in the building. I love that their young decision makers want more football acumen. How big is that? Like, don't be the biggest ego in the room. Don't be the big swing and D in the room that just thinks you know everything and you want to control everything and eventually lose the thread. Like put in good people around you. Coaches talked about delegating and how important he finds it to delegate and trust the people he puts in place to do that. I love this move for Mike McDaniel. I talked about it on the previous pod. Like that's the biggest move to me is the ability to attract a big name, to get him here and tell him like we have something good we're building and the coach to be willing to just do whatever it takes to win. Nothing else matters. Jay Feely, former Dolphins kicker, perfect hire for McDaniel. I like that his scheme and philosophy are complementary to the offensive scheme. Your offense is explosive. You don't need high risk, high reward defense. You need one that makes it hard on opposing offenses and forces them to have long extended drives. Yeah, we've talked about that. Uh, And then Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the Rams and the NFL for The Athletic, she tweeted this when the reports came out on Sunday. The McDaniel-Fangio combo in Miami is such a full-circle situation. I remember McDaniel obsessively poring over that scheme a couple of years ago at a coaching clinic. He's the one who said playing it was the ultimate ego bait for offensive play callers, death by 10,000 paper cuts. I cannot wait to hear Coach McDaniel talk about this hire and how tough this defense is to attack. We get great transparency from Coach on that, and he's always informative that way. And frankly, we saw that script play out in the win over Buffalo, right? Going back to what Jay Feely talked about, if you can shorten the game against these, you know, star quarterbacks, limit them to seven to nine possessions per game, and then take care of your own business on your own possessions, like for instance, a 45-yard bomb to Jalen Waddle on third and 22, and sharp red zone execution after a takeaway creates a short field, then you have a winning formula. You can score quick, you can limit possessions, and frustrate a quarterback like Josh Allen. We have months to break this all down, but it makes perfect sense to me with the marriage of the styles of these two coaches. I want to go ahead and take our last break right here and finish up on the other side with some real X's and O's talk. I brought in a foremost voice on this topic. You've probably seen it make the rounds on Dolphins Twitter. Now, uh, he wrote a deep dive on the Fangio influences and schemes. We'll go ahead and get to Sean Syed next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Before we get to Sean Syed, I want to go ahead and start with this topic right here, talking a little bit about positional analogs. What has Coach Fangio had in the past in Denver and Chicago, what do we have? And we'll talk to Sean about that here in just one second. But first, my opinions on the topic. Why not, right? Um, I think Javon Holland has the most to gain here from this switch to more, you know, playing the playing the quarterback, playing the eyes of the quarterback, the interchangeable nature from him and Brandon Jones and whatever else they might do at the safety position. Those guys tend to have 
big roles in this defense, especially when you have that much range, that much athletic ability, and you're that well in tuned to the finer nuances of the game. You know, this play style, this concept takes me here. That concept takes me there. Like the knowledge of the game will really help a player like Javon Holland and Brandon Jones, who is so, 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 so studious. I think it benefits the corners like an Xavier Howard who maybe doesn't have the same 4-4 speed he used to at this stage of his career, especially running on bad groins last year. I think that the ability to kind of zone turn, put his butt to the sideline, camp out and watch quarterbacks and, you know, break on balls that way will accentuate his playmaking ability we saw for so many years down here. Beyond that, I'm not sure what it looks like for the rest of the room. You know, like an, if they bring Nick Needham back, who's been in the same defense his whole career. Cater Kohu, I just trust him to play in any defense because I think he's a really good player, but we haven't seen it yet. And then up front is where I think the big advantages come from. I think Christian Wilkins, his ability to penetrate and shoot gaps and kind of put the offensive line in a bit of, you know, peril in terms of having to deal with his speed and explosiveness inside to match what you have on the perimeters and the way this front can generate one-on-one matchups just based upon its own ability to win their own matchups. Because if you don't double Christian inside and you put your doubles on the outside, he can, you know, cross face and get a, and get inside and get interior pressure, which is the worst for a quarterback. So then you deal with that. You pull in your running back or you bring across a tight end to kind of help chip inside there, whatever the case may be. Then you free up the edges for Chubb and for Phillips and the ex- amount of success that he has had getting, Great pass rush situations for his guys in the past, whether it was Chubb in Denver, Von Miller in Denver, whether it was Khalil Mack in Chicago. I think he has the weapons here, the guns, to play that style of defense that can really, really harass opposing quarterbacks in a great way. The linebacker area is where I don't know. I think they might have to kind of remake that position because... The linebackers in Vic Fangio's defenses have always been super athletic. They can play backwards as good as they can playing forwards, which I don't know we have that here. Um, And they have to be sizable to be able to come down and and fit the run because if you're going to be light in your box counts with the two high structures, you have to have a linebacker who can kind of thump that way. He's always had that, you know, going back to even Roquan Smith, his rookie year uh, with the Chicago Bears, or... Um, you know, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman back in San Francisco. He's always kind of had those guys to to fit that mold. I'm not sure Miami does. It makes for an intriguing offseason to look ahead in terms of what they might do at that position, but I think it's something to keep an eye on there as far as what they might want to do uh, to make this defense Vic Fangio's. All right, there you go. Let's go ahead and get to my guest now, Sean Syed. And joining me now here on the Drive Time Podcast is the brain behind Syed Schemes who penned a deep dive on the Vic Fangio scheme, a scheme that has really infiltrated the majority of National Football League defenses these days, and now Miami has the czar of it all. He's Sean Syed. You can find his piece, The Book of Fangio, on the Read Optional Substack. They crank out great high-level content on the regular, and Sean, of course, a big, big part of that. Sean, thank you so much for jumping on today. Travis, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I hope the Dolphins fans are super excited for Vic Fangio. You know, I think it was a domino in the coaching world that everyone was really waiting to see where he fell. Dolphins fans, you know, it's it's going to be something different. I think it's going to be really fun. And, you know, Fangio is a guy who I love writing about. It's It's been a lot of fun for us last couple of years. It seems like the guys we've been going after in terms of the high, you know, high profile players and coaches, whether that was McDaniel, whether it was Tyreek Hill, Teron Armstead, and now Vic Fangio. Uh, a good batting average here for Chris Greer getting his guys the last couple of years. And Sean, I, I don't want to, you know, to, I, I was thinking about asking you a qualifying question. Tell us to explain your bona fides, but forget that. Just go read the story. The book of Fangio up on the read optional Substack. Uh, it'll tell you all you need to know about Sean's football knowledge. And we could go eight to 12 hours on this probably, Sean, <laughs> but we're going to try to keep it around 20 minutes or fewer. Um, we'll see if we can accomplish that. But I think we start right here. And since you so aptly named your story, the book of Fangio, I want to start with the contents page as it were. Can you kind of give us a 10,000 foot view on what makes this defense what it is? Like, what are the defining traits of the Vic Fangio defense? So to me, you can't really talk about modern defense in the NFL without kind of mentioning and tracking Vic Fangio. Because at its core, the defense, I think it uses flexibility to give really multiple post-snap looks to an offense. And a lot of the traits that the Fangio tree uses, they're different from what Dolphins fans are used to seeing. So you're going to see way more two high shells. You're going to see light boxes. You're going to see a lot less blitzing. And to me, I think that that's smart because the defense can then encourage the offense to run the ball into what may look like optimal looks for the offense, but they can play as heavier boxes when safeties are really triggering downhill. And really in the modern NFL, when 
rushing is less efficient than passing, you need to be able to stop the pass game in different ways and be able to prevent those big plays that Dolphins fans, you know, love seeing Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle run on offense. So the Fangio defense puts a roof over the offense and makes you check the ball down over and over. I think Jordan Rodrigue was reporting on a quote from Mike McDaniel, not back in the day, but a little while ago, where McDaniel kind of mentioned the Fangio defense as really an ego test for an offensive play caller. So how many times can you make the right call going down the field, picking up small gains without either turning the ball over, getting either into a suboptimal look based on an early down run that gets blown up or a, a second down sack, or just getting impatient and dialing up a shot play kind of into the defensive hand. So it's a it's a really fun system because I think it's it's flexible. And I always love using it and just calling it modern defense. Because I think <laughs> it is a beautiful adaptation to where we've been, kind of with the Pete Carroll rise and that kind of defensive tree. And now we're here where it's so popular with guys like Brandon Staley uh, and Sean Desai going forward. It's funny you referenced Jordan Rodriguez's tweet because before you came on, you're the last part of the podcast here, Sean. I brought in the closer, as it were. And I referenced the Jordan Rodriguez tweet about the death by 10,000 paper cuts from Mike McDaniel, you know, a few years back at a coaching clinic, which we used a bunch of that content from coaching clinics for coach when he was hired last year, uh, this time around the hiring cycle. I want to go back to something you mentioned about the linebacker position, or I guess I should just say, you know, running against what looks like a favorable box count because so many quarterbacks and offenses are built upon, hey, if you have a light box count and you have a favorable, you know, number of, of hats to put a hat on a hat, run the ball, check to a run. How do they accomplish that? Because I'm looking at the same thing you're talking about with the light box. You know, I think it was like 73% of the time. How do you line up in a light box like that and still defend the run, you know, in a beneficial way? So one of the ways to do it is if you think of your regular nickel with four down linemen, two defensive linebackers, right? So technically that's a quote light box where you have six guys there, but oftentimes a safety is going to be rotating down there for one, right? So that can make it seven. But also the way that they do it is the way that they play the regular quarters technique, or honestly, even when they're kind of playing to a cover two side, the safety is triggered downhill. In some of these old Bears clips that I'm watching with guys like Eddie Jackson, they get into the box so quick. I think that that's a technique thing, but also the general philosophy of fitting the run from depth with safeties and saying, hey, look, maybe we're not going to get as many kind of minus two yard stops, but if we can get you where you're getting one and a half and two yards over and over, eventually the bet is that you're probably going to get impatient. And I think the McDaniel, uh, the way that they run their offense kind of from that Shanahan tree is there's always going to be, or there can be a kind of quote unblockable support player. And the way that the Fangio tree uses it is that's coming from further depth, right? So I think of stopping the run it is a little bit of a resource allocation problem, right? Yeah. You could put 11 guys in the box and say, we are not going to let you run the ball. That, of course, is going to open up problems in the pass game. And the way that the Fangio tree balances it is they're going to tip their balance to the pass game while using technique on the back end and then also up front where if you have a bigger body that's athletic and kind of maybe take two gaps up or play their gap and then fall into another gap up front where you can have less guys on the, that line but still be able to stop the run effectively. Yeah, that's really good. It just makes me think about what you can maximize out of Javon Holland and Brandon Jones because Javon, for my money, can do anything. Anything you ask that football player to do, he could probably play you know, running back. He's that good of a player. Uh, and then Brandon Jones, like he excels in the instinctive nature of the game and timing up his runs to the line of scrimmage. And it makes me think that those guys can really fit that role. And then also in that nickel package, like Cater Kohu, our rookie this past year, who was phenomenal for, you know, for any measurement, but for a UDFA rookie, he tackles as well as anybody. He had 28 run stops this year, which was sixth most among cornerbacks. So I think that it's kind of that Taron Johnson thing in Buffalo where you're in your nickel defense, but you have a great tackling nickel cornerback that goes a long ways too. So something else about the defense that you wrote very, very, you know, eloquently about, which it's, I told you, Sean, it's hard to get through that material in a way that is like comprehensive and, and not, you know, putting you to sleep. And you did a good job of that. Um, but what I want to ask you about here is like, just give us the bones of the idea of this cover six, cover eight. Like, what does it look like when you achieve the ideal cover six that obviously pairs well with that cover eight, when you do it correctly, what does it look like? So the reason why I'm so, uh, such a proud pusher of the word cover eight, as opposed to just cover six is to me, cover six or cover eight, it determines what you're playing to the passing strength. So really simply put is the kind of the more or better receivers, right? So if it's two receivers where there's only one on the opposite side, or if it's two by two, the side with the two receivers instead of a tight end. So cover six to me is quarters to the passing strength. And then cover eight to me is, is halves to the passing strength. And the way that the Fangio tree likes to play cover eight. And one of the toughest clips on the defensive side you saw is the chargers uh, against the Jaguars. So the Jaguars had a really big touchdown, but they're, 
they're trying to play five over three to a trip side. So if you have three receivers to that side, the offense is really overloading one of the halves of the field. And the way the defense fights back against that is saying, hey, well, let's play man coverage away from it. Our linebacker is going to have to take a running back. We are going to have to trust the cornerback on the back side. But then we can play with five guys over three to the front side. And that gives you different flexibility in terms of matching different routes or if the kind of a fast receiver is working across the field instead of having a linebacker chase that a safety can kind of play down to that with depth. And I think what the Fangio, specifically kind of that 2017 range, those Bears teams do really well is they play it in their base looks to make sure they have a cornerback that's fitting the kind of outside half or the outside piece of the run game. And you are going to have to be kind of an aggressive force defender. And I think that's just something that it uses the flexibility of players really, really well. And they do a good job. There's this great kind of the way that they ran it against the Cowboys. I think it was in Fangio's last year in Denver where, you know, there's one clip cover six, one clip cover eight, and just flipping it, flipping it, flipping it, and using it in different ways where they need to win that kind of first half second of the snap, right? When the quarterback takes a snap, we want to have him hesitate just a touch with how our safety is going to rotate. And then we want to be able to get that rush already kind of get there, their selves going forward and use that together to win that first second of the snap post snap to stop the offense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And when you kind of break it down that way, it makes me think about the way the dolphins have traditionally the last couple of years had such good, like two gap technique and the players to execute that two gap where, you know, Phillips and Chubb play the run on the way to the quarterback so effectively or Christian Wilkins, who had the most tackles by a defensive lineman since 1990. Uh, I think it was 1991. At least uh, he just gets off blocks and makes plays. And Zach Sealer is very similar that way. So it seems like you could also kind of benefit from that in terms of just playing better football up front. In addition to having more guys on the back end and coverage. And, you know, I, I was going over some stats of Fangio's defenses over the years and we heard about the bend, but don't break stuff, man. Can you like take us through that? Because I'm looking at the red zone rankings and, you know, defenses always kind of change what they do down in the red zone, but man, his red zone defenses are always really good. How does he do that? Yeah. The Fangio red zone stuff. It's so interesting to me because you have to be good in the red zone. If you're going to accept the, the Hey, sure. We're going to force you to check check it down over and over, churn out these drives where we're okay saying, if you take 15 places score, look, like, good job yeah. on you guys. <laughs> to me, in the red zone, I think it's really, it's a technique thing where they they play, I think they call it red nine, where it's, it is a cover three weak side rotation where they'll move their kind of free safety a little over to the trips, for one example, if they're playing in trips. But it's just, it is guys playing with with speed, I think with confidence, and not putting players into suboptimal looks where a safety may be conflicted kind of in two ways. Now, the offense, of course, look, they get paid too. And I think something that I really look forward to is hopefully those training camp clips kind of come out where you see, you know, Fangio and McDaniel kind of fighting back and forth where they're really drawing those <laughs> things up. And to me, I think something that should be encouraging for a Fangio-led defense, and that's kind of hard to quantify, is they're just really well coached. Like players are extremely talented, especially in those older defenses but it seems like they're just not making mistakes where there's not coverage busts where, you know, safeties don't have bad eyes, for example, where they're seeing some guy go out, even though they know if they, they have deep responsibility. So to me, the red zone stuff, it's a, it's not that they're running some extremely complicated schematic structure, but coaching, I think in a lot of ways is, Hey, how can we maximize the player that we have on the field? And I think that's something that, you know, Vic Fangio has just shown over and over that he is able to do. So I think that's something that Miami should be excited about. Sean Syed here on the Drive Time Podcast. He wrote a great piece on the read optional, the book of Fangio. Go check it out. It details this scheme very in-depth. You won't find anything better out there on the interwebs. A couple more for you here, Sean. And we've seen, you know, this coach and this defense and a couple of tapes I wanted to go back and watch were against top quarterbacks. You know, he was in Denver when they just seemingly found a way to give, you know, Mahomes fits every year uh, when they were over there. How does he and his defensive structure confuse some of these top quarterbacks, like the disguises that seem to work so well to confuse these quarterbacks that have seen so many snaps and so many coverages, really seen it all. How is he doing that against these top end veteran quarterbacks? To me, the Fangio defense, it's not like too prideful. So I think they understand, hey, we have a high level threat on the offensive end. We're not just going to solo this person one-on-one -on -one the whole entire game, right? When Tyreek Hill is on the opposite side of the field, it's difficult to do that. I think one way, you know, Dolphins fans probably not as happy to think about that old Chargers game, but Staley comes really strongly <laughs> from that Fangio tree and shares those ideas. So to me, it may be less about just, hey, we're going to totally confuse you and have some crazy coverage rotation, but it's saying, hey, from our base looks that we run often, we have five or six different answers and different ways to plug and play 
with how we're going to solve our problems. So whether it's something as simple as, hey, we usually have the safety away from the trips dropping down to kind of take, imagine Tyreek Hill going on a crosser. Well, this time we're going to have the opposite safety do it, right? So it's a combination of having the answers to the test, right? Or different ways to solve the problems, but also the understanding of, hey, this is when we're going to call this play. So it, that's another thing that's really hard to quantify where specifically, you know, Vic Fangio, he's not someone who just calls tons and tons of blitzes. But when they do send pressure, especially when Fangio calls those max pressures, it just seems like he has an innate ability to know when he can manipulate those pressures. So it's a, it's a real good combination of having the flexibility on defense, specifically from a too high structure, where if you were in a one high structure where that single middle of the field safety is covering that deep middle, if you're going to get to different coverages, specifically a too high coverage, you're going to have a safety who started on the line and is running back kind of with a panic almost, as opposed to from that solidified two high structure, holding that two high structure as long as you can and dropping late, first of all, right? So we're going to delay the quarterback's processing as much as we can and to get two different coverages from that two high structure. So to me, it's a, it's a great combination of, hey, the, our basic looks are going to look so similar. And because we have multiple answers, we have different ways to try and frustrate you. Now, look, the offense is going to score points, right? Like Patrick Mahomes is going to score points when you play against them. But sometimes all it takes is really one or two yeah. plays where you can get a sack. And especially when your offense is rolling, it's a great combination and a way to win. It makes, it makes perfect sense. I'm glad you referenced the Chargers game from earlier this year. I went back and watched the 2020 game against the Dolphins, and it was kind of the similar, a similar you know, situation where they just didn't really have open receivers down the field. And if the Dolphins can achieve that with the way they were able to create pressure with their front this year, uh, they, they were third in pass rush win rate, according to ESPN. And we saw Phillips and Chubb and Wilkins and the entire crew just have their own you know, instances of one-on-one victories. But the ball came out so fast, it was hard to convert those into sacks. And so my my question to you, Sean, is how would you describe the pressure packages or even just the four-man rushes and the way he creates opportunities to not just make quarterbacks hold the ball, but to get home up front and convert those pressures into game-changing plays like sacks, tip balls that get picked off? How does the Vangio, Fangio, I should say, pressure packages work out? So one of the maybe smaller critiques of the Fangio package is you're not going to see the most exotic blitz, blitzes with different twists or different kind of schemes from that or that maybe you're used to seeing across the league. But having five guys up front causes so many problems for the offensive line because on, at outset it says, hey, we kind of need to play almost the equivalent of man coverage on offense where I have this guy in front of me. And when you can make that a one-on-one constantly, as you said, which I think the Dolphins have done a good job of that, and, you know, guys like Phillips are going to be happy to have this again, where if you can get those one-on-ones consistently, your best guys are going to get home. And I think that's something that in Minnesota that happened where their defense maybe not the most popular this year, but getting Zedaria Smith just over the kind of weakest link in the offensive line. And offensive line is really a weak link system where if you have, for example, your right guard is just a little shaky that day, that's where you want to attack on defense. I think Fangio understands that and knows how to attack it. So to me, the big thing is going to be those five down fronts where maybe they haven't been as popular with Fangio himself, but, you know, Staley used it a lot, specifically with the Rams. The Eagles are using it a ton this year, and Fangio is seeing that on tape every single week this year. I think that's going to be something that we could see from Miami. But also those edge rushers and that regular nickel four down front, if you can get home with four, it gives you just all that flexibility on the back. And once you have to send, you know, a fifth guy to kind of get pressure, it unfolds your coverage structure in different ways, whether it's, you know, forcing people to have to play, just in different spaces than they're used to. But what I like that, you know, Fangio has done is instead of just having defenders kind of dropping to a landmark, turning around and often, you know, looking like, hey, this guy's just covering space. So when you watch the replay on TV, you're like, what's going on with this defense? <laughs> they do a good job of closing that space and, you know, matching routes where if they are going to send pressure, it's going to look like man coverage. And maybe, you know, one of those quote bonus fire zones as they would call it, but really it is, it's going to play out almost like man coverage. So it's a combination of putting players in the best matchups one-on-one closing that space in man coverage. And, you know, as you said, you know, something that maybe if the Dolphins have struggled with, being able to close that space is really, really advantageous. It's a good combination of, hey, when the rush is doing good, the coverage is going to look better. But also when the coverage is doing good, the rush is going to look better. So obviously you want to have both those things good, but they can really work kind of in unison. 
Man, it's only February and you got me fired up for training camp in July and into August. I cannot wait to get out there and watch these two offenses and defenses go up against each other. I want to finish up with a couple of things here, Sean. Uh, number one, just just kind of briefly in each area of the field, like tell me about what a Vic Fangio defense looks like ideally in terms of personnel uh, with what he's had successfully in Denver, Chicago, San Francisco up front in that second level and the back end. What does it look like when it's humming at all three levels in terms of the personnel he has at those spots? I think that it's it's really cool to track the scheme over time because it's had so many incredible players. So think of it just as a base 3-4, and using base not as they're going to spend most of their time in nickel, right. but I think as a teaching progression, you start at base in your 3-4 looks, having a nose tackle that can you know really fight that center and kind of, as they say, steer the wheel, get into a good leverage and kind of attack the run that way. Playing Not passive, but able to keep the linebackers clean. So when you have... Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis, a lot of those tackles that they made were because those guys up front were working so hard. And I think the the defensive linemen, also those kind of four eyes, those guys on the inside shade of the offensive tackles. You could think of Justin Smith, for example, from the Niners days. So guys that can, they are still have the ability to attack the offense. And I think it, it is really space for obviously, you know, Aaron Donald, you see succeeding with the Rams, those edge guys are kind of high. They end up as hybrid linebacker pass rushers. You know, Fangio had uh, Bradley Chubb with them, right? So it's a nice reunion for them and a space where when we're in our nickel looks, it becomes a kind of two, four, five, where you're, you can get your hand in the dirt. If you want to guys like Khalil Mack really played that role really well, where they're the edge setter in the three, four base look, but then they're also getting after the passer as the defensive end in those kind of sub or nickel looks. The linebacker position is a really interesting one. As I said, even guys like Roquan Smith, I think that the ability to kind of tempo the running back, have really good instincts, and then speed and coverage is going to be a really big thing. I think if you're a linebacker who maybe your instincts and matching routes isn't as good, or if you're just, you know, you're just not as quick to get to the ball, sometimes that can cause a problem because every single defensive call has a weak point. There's no perfect defensive call. If there was one, we would just see it constantly. But the weak side linebacker in pass coverage is the kind of natural weak point. For example, you think of quarters, that linebacker a lot of the time ends up matched up on the offensive slot receiver. And even I think on Super Bowl Sunday, you'll see where the Eagles use Devontae Smith in that role because they know they can get it matched up yeah. on a linebacker. Cornerback position, I think Fangio's been, has had a lot of good corners and the more flexibility, really the better, right? So I think Pat Sertain is, is one of the top cornerbacks in this league already at such a such an early point in his career, particularly because he can play man coverage really, really well. You're not going to be asked to play as much man coverage, I think, in the Fangio system than what the Dolphins have been running previously, but still being able to play flexible and really closing that space in zone coverage is huge because if you're going to play quarters and you're going to kind of put your roof over the defense, you still want to be able to take as much air out. And if you're going to play six or seven yards off, being able to kind of compress that, it just makes the quarterback's life harder. And I think the cornerstone of defense is those safeties. I have a hard time thinking, okay, if I could choose one star, on the defense to put in one position, maybe, you know, it's maybe it's that nickel spot like Jalen Ramsey was playing in different ways for the Rams. Maybe it's having a stud corner, but the safeties have to be able to do so much because that weak safety, not weak in any player sense, but kind of just away from the passing strength. They're fitting downhill in the run game. They're, you know, trying to take that third receiver with speed coming across the field where your other safety has to really be able to cover a lot of ground. So I think that, you know, the prime example for me is Eddie Jackson, you know, Simmons in, in Denver, just versatile guys. I think that that is something that the Fangio tree really, really loves to have. And you can see different ways that different iterations have used a personnel. Well, you know, immediately you should think of Philly. Well, they have a really, really unique, I think, five-man rush package where they have guys that can clog up those interior gaps and just cause all sorts of problems for the offensive line. We're letting your edge rushers be comfortable there, still playing that six-man box, have those cornerbacks who are playing at a high level. And then you have guys, of course, like Brandon Staley, where he has a different flexibility of Derwin James. So to me, it's, it's a good combination. Keep saying good combination. Cause it's so many things working together, high level players that the scheme knows how to take advantage of and won't just paint fully into a corner. To me, it's going to be cool to see, well, okay, how do we take guys like Javon Holland, his really, really interesting, unique skill set, and not force him to do things he's super uncomfortable with, but really use them as kind of a weapon against the offense in different ways. It, yeah, that's that would be number one on my board because I think that he has the ability to really impact games in that way. And you, you talk about these analogs you look at from the Dolphins defense compared to Fangio's past. Like I'm looking at those, those lists and I'm thinking that there's got to be a reason that Vic was like, yeah, sign me up in Miami because I have these pieces I can go to work with right away. And then also you kind of talking about the 
putting the onus on the offense to be patient and take what's there. With this Miami offense and the quick strike ability of Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Tua Tungavailoa, you get teams behind the on the scoreboard all of a sudden, that becomes even more difficult to do. So it's music to our ears. Sean, we got a lot smarter today on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. You can find him on Twitter at Syed Schemes. His work is everywhere. Read optional, read optional Substack. He wrote for the Vikings SB Nation blog this past season covering Ed Donatel's defense, protege of Vic Fangio. Go read his work. Follow him on social. Sean, thank you again so much for your time. Is there anything else that you've worked on and or are working on right now you can plug here on the podcast for us? Travis, it means so much. I really appreciate the kind words. It was it was real fun to talk about. Uh, I'm kind of doing an analog to the Fangio side. I'm doing a Shanahan piece that I'm working on with the read optional. I know that's going to be really fun. You know, the Dolphins immediately jump up as just a top team I'm going to watch with an offense that, of scheme that I really, really love, a defensive scheme that I love. Just doing some freelance writing, uh, just cutting up that all 22. Follow the Twitter, you know, any Dolphins outlet looking for a writer. I'm, I'm excited to see you know, McDaniel and Fangio. It seems like a match made in heaven for me. Travis, again, I really, really appreciate you having me on. Well, we're going to have to get you back on here, man, because it sounds like you have a lot of, to work to do on these two coaches. And uh, we're going to be knocking on your door here to get some more takes from you. Does that sound good? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Sean. And there he goes. Like I said, we get smarter on the podcast and we have smart people on here. So really appreciate him jumping on with us. And quickly, wanted to provide you guys a quick life update for Sean, who, since we taped that podcast, has accepted a new job at Summer Sports, a quantitative analysis company aimed at creating precision in player acquisition and roster management in the National Football League, also the uh, Summer Sports Show podcast. He is going to be the incoming director of communications for Summer Sports. Congratulations, Sean. Well-deserved man. And we'll have him back on the podcast plenty here in the future. That's going to do it for my time here on the Drive Time Podcast. We'll come back with the 2022 review series picked up on the next show we do here. I'm not sure which one we're at, but we'll have that for you guys when the next podcast is out. Go ahead and check out the uh, YouTube channel for media availabilities for Dolphins today for any potential press conferences coming up, the introduction press conference. I'm sure you're all going to want to hear that. Check out the podcast, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice, an international podcast here on the network as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, daddy's coming home.